the Sounders have scored the goal. Playoffs. The Sounders are in the playoffs. What a goal! Franchise history. A perfect finish to the season. Freeman! It's Dempsey past the wall and in! Fires it in front. Valdez was there and it turned in! It's Morris. He's in and Jordan Morris! Seattle are Western Conference champions. Seattle Sounder fans, you're going to the playoffs. Do the math. Every year, the Seattle Sounders have been in existence. They go to the postseason. That's what they do. Zakawani, the flying winger. Oh, goodness me! He doesn't mean anybody, Steve Zakawani. Steve Zakawani was never fun <laughs> to stick up against. Was it for Zakawani? None of this is possible. It's Steve. It's Steve. <laughs> this is so weird. Steve Zakawani. It's playoff week, the funnest time of the season. The Sounders are in it 11 seasons in a row. Uh, it's been a historic run by the franchise, and I think it's one of those things where you can't ever take it for granted. You know, we always want more. I'm the first one to say, you know, when I feel that the team hasn't been great or hasn't played well, and you can have your opinions about this season or the slow starts in years past and some of the moves that have been made. But what you can't argue with is consistency. And I'm not a fan of the playoff format in the sense of the amount of teams that make it. But... You play by the rules you're given. The Sounders have done that. And in that time, not many other teams can keep up with what the Sounders have done year by year consistently. And that's to be in the playoffs every time. And by beating Minnesota and getting that number two seed, I think this team's chances go very, very high. Because even when they're not playing well, they're very tough to be at home. And guaranteed at least two home games, maybe three, if LAFC is knocked off, and maybe four, if a few teams in the East also do us a favor. So it's one of those things where you take the big picture view and you say, this team is, this club is extremely consistent, always been in and around the top in a season that many would say, for whatever reason, was a down season. I'm not sure I agree on that. He still came second in the West to a historically good LAFC, an LAFC who won't repeat that next season. I'm almost sure of it. I think they'll still be very good, but when you reach those kinds of numbers, it's very hard to do that again uh, because teams will game plan for them a bit more next year, etc. But the Sounders came second in a Western Conference that was very, very competitive. If you look at the amount of teams that still had a shout, in the remaining couple of games, whereas the East was pretty much settled and they were just fighting for seeding here in the West. We still had a few teams fighting to actually get into the playoffs as well as seeding. So what does that mean for the Sounders? It means a home date this Saturday afternoon against FC Dallas. I feel good about it. For whatever reason, people that I've spoken to don't feel that great about it. I actually thought Dallas was the best draw for the Sounders. I don't know that playing Portland at home in the playoffs or playing Portland anywhere in the playoffs is good. Playing a rival in the playoff 
all that recent form, home or away, it goes out of the window. Um, Salt Lake, I think, is a better team than FC Dallas. And the Galaxy, not great defensively, but they have the monster up top who scores every single game, single-handedly keeps them in games at times and wins them games and he's powered them to the playoffs, you know. So I like the Dallas matchup. We saw Dallas here a couple of weeks ago. It was a nil-nil game. It wasn't a great game. Dallas came here to defend. I don't think they'll be as defensive. I still think they will be defensive, not as defensive, but at home against a young Dallas team with some of the players the Sounders have, everyone's pretty much coming back to full health. The form is trending the right way. There's been a couple of clean sheets recently. Roman Torres is back. He looks hungry and ready. I have a hard time seeing how Dallas leaves CenturyLink with a win. It can happen. It's football. It's the playoffs. We've seen crazier things in this beautiful game. But I have a very, very hard time thinking that Dallas is going to come here to Seattle and beat this Sounders team. Why? Why are you so confident, Steve? Because I put my money on the big players in the playoffs. When it comes to the playoffs, yes, you know me. I'm a tactics guy. The tactics is the most fundamental thing in football, how you're going to play, what you're going to try to do, do the players know where they need to be, which coach can, which coach can outsmart the other coach, etc., etc., etc. Yes, but in the playoffs, that is important, but big players need to make big plays. You just need those moments more than ever. When it's April, May, June, you can kind of rely on the squad. Just like in the NBA, they go down from like 10, 11, sometimes 12 man rotation down to about eight in the playoffs. Because you start counting on the guys you really have to count on. It's four wins. And you look at the Dallas roster, you look at the Sounders roster, who has more big names. Names don't play. You actually go out and perform. The name on the paper doesn't play, but it's a name for a reason. Is there someone on Dallas on the level of Raul Ruiz Diaz? I would say probably not. Is there someone in Dallas in the form of Jordan Morris? I don't think hardly anyone in the league is in the form of Jordan Morris right now. Is there anyone on Dallas at the level of Nico Ladero? Absolutely not. Jovan Jones is rounded back into form. We've mentioned Roman Torres. You have Stephen Fry and Goal, the brick wall. I think when you look at the player for player, the Sounders are a better team. And if you're better in these situations, you have to just go out there and prove it. You really do just have to go out there and prove it. And that's the pressure part for the Sounders. I'm not going to say Dallas have nothing to lose, but they have less to lose. They just got to show up, give their best shot. If Seattle wins, Seattle was supposed to win. If Dallas wins, oh boy, what an upset. So for the Sounders, that's the pressure you're playing with, but I put my trust in the, the big players, the key players to make plays during the playoffs. That's what you need if you're the Seattle Sounders. So I'm feeling good about this weekend. Um, let us know your thoughts, how you're feeling tweet me tweet the sounders account all of that stuff um, always great interacting with the people and 
Let me know if I'm delusional, if you're as confident as I am. Am I missing something? Did I not see enough of Dallas this season? Is there an X factor on Dallas? Maybe the striker who scored against England, maybe he'll come here and do something. I don't know. I don't see it. I think Seattle wins. And I'm not going to make a full-on MLS Cup prediction. What I will do on the other side of a special interview we have for you um, coming up, I will give you my brackets up until the Western Conference Final and the Eastern Conference Final. I'm not going to pick beyond that because it it gets too complicated for me after that. It's it's too hard. I can't decide. I flip-flop. I go back and forth. I'm too lukewarm on that issue. But I will be at least giving you up to that point. But the Sounders have a chance. Most definitely have a chance to go all the way. I, 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 I sense it and it'd be so funny if the Sounders actually end up hosting the final here at CenturyLink Field. Wouldn't that be something? All right, stay tuned. Winging it with Zakawani. When we come back, I sat down with a good friend of mine and former Sounders FC captain, icon, legend, Brad Evans, who recently, of course, hung up his boots and has spent some time traveling. He's back in the city now and he stopped by to see me. And we had a great chat about a lot of things. So sit back, relax and enjoy. That's coming right up when we return. back to those first weeks in 2009 oh boy we were all in Tequila yeah at a hotel most of us um the expansion draft guys myself and Montero was there where was Bloomberg um I think the Olive Hyatt downtown mm, I or think it was at the Four Seasons <laughs> we were all in Tequila it's freaking next to some ratty sushi place <laughs> thanks um, Adrian at that time because I had no contact I was in an MLS before I came from college you had been in MLS yeah did you have any idea that it could become what it became. What ten years in now? No, no. Any idea? What do you think when you first arrived? So my first, I got, I won a championship. Yeah. And then, the next day we flew back to Columbus. The next day we had meetings. I was told I wasn't protected. The next day I flew all with just a bag. I didn't even have anything. Just you know, I'm going to be on the team next yeah. year. We just won a championship. I played every game. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time I landed, I got a phone call saying, "Hey, you just got picked up by Seattle in the expansion draft," and I was like. You know, kind of floored. Was it disappointing to be not protected? Uh, yeah, a little bit disappointed not to be protected. Now that I look back, the economics of it made sense. You know, I was making nothing mm-hmm. um, compared to the other guys that weren't protected, international guys, all yeah. that stuff. So, um, yeah, I was, I was definitely, um, you know, angry at the time. Um, and uh, Becky was kind of had her head wrapped around moving to Columbus. And so we were kind of like in that zone, you know. Oh, wow. you, have, you have a plan, you make a plan, you follow through. So, um, called my agent he was like yeah you're gonna get picked up and then as soon as I know it it's uh you know Ziggy calling me and Henderson and Zig's like look we have a special thing going and uh we've got already 5,000 season tickets and then I was like wow that's yeah that's pretty cool you know um and then it was 10,000 and then it was 12 and then 15 and I was like holy like what is going on right now did you guys 
did you, so you guys at Columbus didn't know Ziggy was leaving? No, no idea. Like, we, we won a championship. The next morning, we shook hands at the bus because he had a place in L.A. You know, yeah, Zig, every yeah. time we went to L.A., yeah, he yeah, wouldn't yeah. come to the team Please hotel. Man- his Manhattan wife Beach. would pick him up. He'd yeah. go to his nice, uh, yeah. you know, his nice, uh, his nice house. <laughs> so it was just like, okay, Zig's going to hang out, and, and uh, that's just how it's going to go. I had no idea at the time that that was the last, you know, handshake I'd have as part of the crew, yeah. right? Wow. Um, that team was good. What made that team good? Cause I remember... I watched the final. I was in college. You guys killed New York, I yeah. think. Um, you, Eddie, Gavin. Um, I want to say Ezra was playing. Ezra didn't start that game, he but he was on Ezra the team. Was about yeah, on the team. Yeah, um, yeah. Shalota, obviously, legend. Yeah. Um, Robbie Rogers. Like, yeah, what was so special about that team? Uh, Gijay Shaletto. Yeah. He was the most incredible player you know, to be around, especially as a young player. Everything ran through him. So every training session, he would just tell Robbie and Eddie, just run. Ziggy would just tell him run, bump the ball back and run. And Gijay would pick up the ball and just find him. I think he had like 19 assists that year. Well, just yeah. insane. Yeah. Um, the vision. Uh, so he, he ran that whole team. But it was funny because he, had a, he has a twin brother and he's the assistant coach at LA I right saw now, him. right? I didn't know he, yeah. So <laughs> we, yeah. we would see, Gijay would come to practice. But we'd always say his brother came to practice because he was terrible in training. He was the worst player to have on your team every single time. Shiloto. Yeah, in training. Really? He just didn't care. But he, Ziggy told me early on, he was like, when you get to that level, you yeah, can yeah. game day, you can turn it yeah, on. Yeah, say, Brad, you're not at that level yet. Like, you have to try in training still. Like, you're not there yet. It was, uh, I'll always remember that. It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was so funny. Wow. Yeah. Um, what's your memories from the 2009 preseason, the first one we had here? Yeah, so I remember cold, rainy. I remember coming in early. Uh, I knew Sturgis. Tyson was a, was a friend at the time. We had played some uh, PDL soccer. So we flew up here from Orange County. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming to the training facility, I remember we trained on the far left field yeah. um, just to kind of get ourselves ready. Um, yeah. I remember Florida. Um, I remember Argentina. Argentina, Argentina yeah. Uh, I remember, yeah, soccer, tennis. Um, I remember beep tests. Uh, VMAC. But VMAC was the highlight, yeah. yeah. VMAC was yeah. the highlight. Coming in and uh, that facility, really, you get a great... I mean, coming from Columbus, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it was garbage yeah. at the time. <laughs> yeah. and, and then you walk into that, and it's this you know, $100 million facility, and you're like, wow, it's a hot tub. And then I have to say, the first game, Red Bulls, you scored. Was it? No, Freddie scored the first goal. Yeah, Freddie scored, scored first, scored second. Second goal. Um, I mean, just describe... I've tried to tell people how loud it was. And I think that time it was only 30,000. Yeah. And I, maybe more I'm more. wrong. For me, it seemed louder then sure. than now. Yeah. Maybe I'm used to it. But I couldn't hit, it was, well, for me, I've told people it was the most incredible. I had no idea what to expect. There was confetti falling. There was, yeah. won the game. It was a clean sheet. You couldn't script a better night than that. It was walking out for the first time. Um, in the starting lineup. You know, you go out for warm-ups and you look around and there's mm-hmm. still empty seats. You're like, wow, this is still pretty cool. But then you come out to the yeah. music, you come out to the what boom, is a, boom, a proper yeah. football yeah. production, right? Um, and you get out and I remember getting super emotional at the national anthem mm-hmm. and then it was game time and it was like, it was just insane. That was, yeah. that's, that's my favorite moment of being a sounder really? right there, for sure. 100%. I, I try to convince myself it's Open Cups, it's yeah. Supporters' Shield, it's championships. And but when yeah. you really look back on the grand scheme of things, that was the pivotal moment for me. If I wasn't there that first year, then yeah, yeah championship, yeah, uh, yeah, Supporters' yeah. Shield, things like that. But that was like... Um, by far the most special, meaningful moment as a sounder. That's a great shout. Um, what's your best individual season for the Sounders? And I know which one I think, but... 
I mean, I would say, are you, we're talking goals, we're talking performance. Just for you. I would yeah. say either 13 or 14. Okay. Um, 14 was kind of when I was bumping around different positions, but I think I played a ton of minutes. And for me, successful was playing minutes. Do you think not having one main position hurt you or not? That's, a, I, you know, I asked myself that a lot as I was, you know, getting older. And I would, there were definitely times where, like, I found out that Tiffert was coming in, like, yeah. online. And I was so <laughs> pissed. And I, and I told myself, like, play with anger. Play with, like, a chip on your shoulder. Mm -hmm. and, and that actually made me play better. Um, and I wasn't necessarily playing center mid again, but I was on the pitch and we were winning. And looking back on it now, results are everything. Yeah. But if I had played right back my whole career, maybe I would have gone in 2014. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, if I had played center mid my whole career, maybe I'd still be playing or I'd have had more games or more goals, whatever it is. But these are all, mm -hmm. you know, hindsight, yeah. you know, ways to look at yeah. it. But there are, if I had only played one position, maybe Tifford comes in and just plays there and I don't have a position on the field then. Yeah. But yeah. since I played multiple positions, I found myself on the pitch for a number of games. Do you think in any way, can that hurt someone at Christian Rodon or no? Um, it, it, it can't. I think our league is moving in that direction where you're not, you're not going to see the, the Swiss Army knife anymore. Yeah. I think it's too good of a league to have, have one guy, have that, can one guy that can right just... And your best enemy. Exactly. Yeah. It's not going to happen anymore. I think we were just at a place in the league where multiple guys could play different positions and do it well. But now I think that the midfielders are better, the strikers are better, that if yeah. you don't commit 100% of the time to one position, yeah. you might not see the field. If you had told me in 2012, 2013, whenever Christian Tifa came that you found out online, I would have been shocked because my understanding of it was Ziggy would have phoned Brad yeah, give no. him a heads up. That's the way we understood your relationship. Yeah, that's not Did not we true. have a bad perception of what it, what was it actually like, you and Ziggy? Because I was thought, maybe yeah. it's unfair that Brad is Ziggy's guy. Just because you came from Columbus with Ziggy. Right. That's what I was for. So, so I thought Ziggy would have called you and give you the heads up. No, definitely didn't happen. Um, I would have... You know, Ziggy and I had a, a good relationship because I always knew that I was going to see the field mm -hmm. looking back on it. But there were times where I would, like, have dreams at night where we would be in shouting matches <laughs> because I didn't like the way that things were run on the team. Like, guys were skating, getting away with stuff. Bloomberg, you can say it. And, uh, multiple players yeah. for, you know, eight, eight and a half years. Yeah. Multiple players. And I didn't like the way that that was run. Would you tell I, him? Um, yeah, we would go for coffee and I would be like, look, this isn't, this isn't working, you know? Yeah. And he was so non-confrontational. Exactly. It didn't matter, yeah. you know? But if it was on his radar, maybe there was an off-season move to be had. But there was never a chance that Ziggy was going to bring somebody in his office and be like, if you don't shape up, you're not playing. Yeah. That's, no, not no, no. Way, that's not the way he yeah. was built. That's not the way he is. He's yeah. just, he was, you know, socially... Yeah. Um, not not that way, yeah. you know. He just didn't I want that confrontation. That. Yeah, I got to know him well over the years. I learned that about. In the early years, he used to confuse me as well. He used to confuse me. I remember my my first year, two thousand nine, we had a meeting. Ziggy called me, Nate Jaqua, Freddie Lundberg, Freddie Montero into his office in the boot room at Stafford. Yeah. Right before training, and he goes, "You four are going to be my four main attacking players, and this is how it's going to go." He's like, "Corny, you'll run the most." Then. Freddie, then Jake, then Lundberg. And then I think he might even say Jake, then Freddie, then Freddie. Because yeah. I'm the youngest. Right. By my second year, when I was outscoring Lundberg, outperforming him, and I didn't understand why the coach wouldn't then... Like, yeah, switch, whoever, switch that up, the so, hierarchy. Yeah, but yeah. as I got to know Ziggy, I understood. And what was Brad Evans the rookie like? Miserable. Yeah, <laughs> serious. I, I didn't... So that was a year... 
that I got drafted that Beckham was coming in. Mm -hmm. And LA had finished last place, I think, the year before. So they had like 12 picks in the, f in the first couple rounds. And I was like certain I was going to LA. I had trained with them every single off season. Oh, wow. Like, you know, I was training with the first team there yeah. for a while. Like I remember going in and, and playing with Landon as a oh, striker, wow. like in training, that was my position. <laughs> like assist, like goal, like I was buzzing, you know, I'm gonna stay in LA, my girlfriend's still finishing school, Becky was still finishing school at the time, and I was uh, so focused on that. And then, you know, I had played the under 20s with Ziggy. Yeah. Um, and so I, that was kind of a bygone thought, and my agent was like, no, they got so many picks. And then these picks, he comes in. Was this LA, Rich Monskin? Yeah. Rich, okay. LA traded for money LA traded their pick for money yeah. next pick LA traded their pick for money and then it just kept getting closer and closer and closer by the time it was uh, pick 15 I think LA had the next pick and I got selected to Columbus and I was like yay going to Columbus and I was like not excited at all to be going to the Midwest and uh, landlocked it just it wasn't even on my radar and I think LA picked Robbie Finley, uh, and we both, you know, yeah. he went to Oregon State. Yeah. We were both from Arizona. We both played striker. Yeah. Like, it was, <laughs> you know, and uh, I was bummed. And I got there, uh, had a little bit of an injury, hamstring, and then I got healthy, and then I was a sub in the first, like, four, five games. And then I got, I picked up a quad, and then four weeks later, same exact spot, and then eight weeks later, same exact spot, and I got put on um, season-ending injury. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea what it was like to take care of your body. Yeah. Like, yeah. no idea. Yeah. I mean, at, in college, you just lift. Yeah. Like, no idea about nutrition, yeah. nothing, yeah. you know? And yeah. I was so out of my element. But, you know, I live with Chad, and we were kind of just miserable together. <laughs> we just play video games all night. We'd go to a gym and ride a bike while the team was at training, put in hardwood floors. Like, it was drink a 12-pack. He would have a box of Captain Crunch. <laughs> it was just a different time, man. <laughs> is he is he the best defender in MLS history? Easy. You think so? There's no way that anybody. Why did he not get close. more love on the national team? Coach's selection. I don't know. I think it was his uh, his like kind of say la vie. Like when you're around him, it seems like he doesn't care. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't talk about soccer. Yeah. He doesn't, you know, but when it's on the pitch, it's undeniable yeah. um, in terms of games played, results, yeah. championships, defenders of the year. Yeah. It's, it's not even an argument. And, yeah. you know, coaches' preferences, yeah. it, it boils down to that. I yeah. mean, I had, I had Bob, I had Jurgen, and I had Bruce with the national team, and they all liked me, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. But for Chad, Bob didn't like him, Bruce didn't like him, and it just didn't... For whatever reason, if a coach doesn't like you, he doesn't like you, no matter how good you are. Do you think you, as a player, were rated as you should be outside of Seattle? Forget Seattle, but the league as a whole. Or do you think some guy who follows the league in Kansas or in Minnesota would think, yeah, that guy should be on the national team? Do you think they saw what you did for us here week in, week out? Oh, no. You know no chance. So? No, no. Really? I, I mean, I always would get slack for being with the national team. But then, like I said, I got three... Coaches. completely different coaches <laughs> that called me in yeah. you know that are completely different and to their credit they all trusted Ziggy mm -hmm. and they all had a relationship whether it was like combative or you know it was always like that respect soccer's, soccer's got respect yeah, no matter yeah, how, yeah. how much you don't yeah. like a guy you have to respect how yeah. good he is right um, but yeah but that never mattered to me as long as I was playing games I think when I was with the national team I played 27 games and I think I lost two mm -hmm. I think against Mexico in that like playoff game to go to the club championship or yeah. the whatever it is the confederations cup yeah. and then another one against jamaica 
and I, th I think that was the, those were the only games that I played that we lost games by. I could be wrong. <laughs> so, I mean, if, it's always going to be a case of... But it, it didn't bother you, what people were saying? No. You didn't, no, you didn't care? No, nothing, right. yeah, no. The only thing that bothered me was... You can't put it on tape. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you think, okay, MLS in terms can't compete, whatever, but where, what can the league do now to grow? CBA coming up, is it salary cap? Do you care about chartered flights, for example? For me, I didn't care. I didn't mind the middle seat flying. I it's, never it's, cared about that. But I can see why it would help. To, going to, you shouldn't have a game where you're playing New York Rebels away right. and it's a four-day trip. Exactly. That's ridiculous. There are certain circumstances where chartered flights should be a no-brainer. And yeah. it should all be covered by the league. Yeah. Uh, teams shouldn't be responsible, I don't think, for chartered flights. And it, yeah. it should be decided before the year. Right, if you have Champions League, if you have a midweek game, yeah. that there are certain flights that aren't direct and premium seats yeah. that you know you should have a chartered flight. It it never really bothered me, but there were times where we we had to fly to Central America. Yeah. There was one trip we took Seattle, uh, Houston, and then played, and then midweek flew down to Trinidad, yeah. played, and then from Trinidad flew to uh, Boston, yeah. played on the weekend, and then had to fly all the way home. Yeah. I mean, that's as much travel as, like, four teams combined in Europe will yeah. do in yeah, a year. Yeah, yeah. So there are certain situations where it's a no-brainer. And the average person, when they fly on a flight, they just cannot, the front office, Don, they cannot grasp mm -hmm. the concept of how a player feels after a game or <laughs> wanting to feel before a game. They want to make their product that good, yeah. then they should be servicing the players at all costs um, because it can. Yeah. I mean, I've... I've flown the middle seats too, and you you feel like crap. Yeah, especially when after you get a game, the I move you. Yeah, after a match, for sure, it's tough. Yeah. Um, the experience in Kansas, good or bad? Uh, awesome. Good experience. Yeah, I Why? mean, I, I I can't say enough good things about that experience. I <clears throat> the, how it went down. I was training with Sounders, and then we were supposed to fly to Tucson that day, and I got a call from Peter saying, "Hey, we we want you. Like we're ready." And so at lunch. Uh, I had to tell Schmetz, like, hey, um, you know, because Sounders couldn't offer me anything until yeah. I was healthy, and I knew that I wasn't going to be healthy f until yeah. after the uh, season had started. Yeah. So I was either done here or I could try to extend my career. Um, mm. And so Peter called, and he was the assistant coach on the under-20s with Zig, so we had a relationship oh, wow. before. Um, and so I literally drove to the airport with Chad. Chad went with the Sounders, and I went uh, off to Phoenix with Kansas City. Um, wow. The facility is insane. Um, What's Peter like? I've always wondered what Peter's like. As intense. Intense. Huh? Super intense, but he has a ton of respect for the players. Uh, he gets to pick all the players, right? Yeah. So the coach has full reign to get the players. So he, he takes that to heart, um, and he understands that that's on him. If I get a player, that's on me, yeah. right? Um, and that's a little bit different. Every team's different in their dynamics. Yeah. Um, and so it puts a little bit more onus on the coach to have that relationship with the players. So ultimately, if a different guy is making the decisions and the coach doesn't want him, like, yeah. I got to do yeah. my best to yeah. fit him in. But there's something to be said about having a connection with a player that you find or you want yeah. that, yeah. you know, pushes you to, to have that relationship. So um, the facility was lights out. Peter's intense. Um, same haircut every day, same exact parking spot every single day. He's in before everybody every single day. Um, you know, if you were one second late to breakfast, you're fined. Uh, if you don't pay that, it's double. If you don't pay that, you go to the coach. Uh, if you leave a shoe out in front of your locker when you go home for the day, fine. Uh, it's just, it's a, it's a tightly run ship, um, and I liked it. 
Hmm. I, I really liked it. Wow. Um, yeah, it's just run different. Every club's yeah. run different. When you're out of place for nine years and then you go to a place like that, both teams have been incredibly successful over the past yeah. decade, yeah. but they just run things different. And it's not to say that one is better than the other, um, but it's just, you know, it is what it is. Is any part of you sad or disappointed with how it ended in Seattle, the way it ended? Yeah, of course. I, I would always want to finish my career here, but, you know, the conversations were if I didn't get healthy in time that I couldn't, I was out of contract. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I had even an option to pick up. It was yeah. if you don't get healthy. And I couldn't even, like, walk at the time. Yeah. You know, my back is still destroyed. For a guy who gave so much to the club, do you think, I mean, I get from a business perspective, but I think I still think as a player that... This is our captain. He's ran through wars for us. He's played in big moments for us. Do you think they could have, can a club, should a club, give the benefit of that to the player and just do the contract and say, you know what, this is for goodwill? Or it's just, it's not feasible in this league? Yeah, I think if they would have just said, hey, we're going to offer you a minimum contract for the year just to have you in the locker room, I would have taken it like that. Oh, wow. um, but that just didn't, it didn't even come close to that. Uh, you know, I had been talking to other teams by myself throughout yeah. uh, the whole offseason, trying to figure out where I was going to go. And I was super stressed. I knew, because I had herniated a disc in my yeah. back, so I knew I wasn't where I wanted to be. But I was training on my own, and I got to a point where I felt good. Um, and Kansas City told me, take as much time as you need. Like I, Peter was like, I don't care if this is April, May, June. And it turned out that I'd never played a minute for the first yeah. team. Played a couple games with the second team and felt good. And every time my chance came, I either popped an ankle the day before a game or something, you know, came up. So it just wasn't meant to be. But, you know, to have that security going into it was something that, you know, the last year that I, you know, I needed. Yeah, um, yeah, and there was yeah. always off. You know, I traveled to away games and playoff games and was on the bench and, you know, was close. But it just yeah. uh, and they wanted me back for the next year. But I just, you know, it was time. Well, how did you know it was time? Uh, I had picked up a, a calf thing that I, I just couldn't get to the bottom of. Um, and it was, I think it's all related to my back. Um, it's just nerve stuff. And I knew I, I didn't want to battle that for another year because um, it just hurts too much as a player to sit there and rehab. Um, you, I mean, you know that. Yeah. The hardest part about rehabbing is, is watching the games yeah. and watching training sessions. You don't even want to be a part yeah. of it. You want to just sit. You, you'd rather go to a gym in Bellevue on your yeah. own and do your own thing and disconnect than yeah. to do your work at the training facility and watch because it just hurts too much. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody can ever understand that. Um, it's that, that is by far the, the hardest part. So I just knew that I, I didn't want to feel those emotions anymore. Um, and yeah. Yeah, it, it was time. When you look at the 2019 Sounders team, when I played, even when I felt I was good and I'm like, you know what, I'm one of the best players on the team. I know I'm playing every week. I'm scoring. I still, in training, especially in five-on-five, five, I would check if I'm on Casey's team, I knew I had to run that day. Yeah. If I'm on Zach Scott's <laughs> team, Brad, Taylor Graham, Roger, those guys, I knew I had to run that day. If, I'm, if you, Ziggy put me, Ozzy Montero, we're going to chill, play yeah. one-twos, do step-overs. Yep. If we lose five, no, we don't care. We had fun. Play with the Americans, usually. Yep. You have to run. Um, do you see those guys who hold people accountable on this current Sounders team? And if so, who is it? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I, I was always the one to look up to the older guys. Yeah. Rarely was there a, a younger guy that took the bull by its horns, if you want yeah. to use that. Yeah. But if, it's really about the starting lineup. And for me, I, I don't see that. I don't see the screaming, the yelling. Um, 
every team has different dynamics in how they approach uh, captaining a team yeah. or, or managing players. And each captain and players around them know how to get the best out of each player. But yeah, for me, it's very difficult for a goalkeeper to get everyone in check. Yeah. Very rarely can the goalkeeper really pull strings and get guys going. They Initial see everything. Casey Keller. Casey, yeah, yeah, they see everything, but Casey will grab the ball and literally <laughs> scream his lungs off, right? Just it's a, it's a different approach. And Steph does that sometimes. Yeah. Um, and, and he's a great leader. He's a great guy. Um, but... Yeah, I, w I always loved like screaming at guys and screaming at the referee and you know ripping guys down by their jersey. Like that's what I just loved. Um, Christian is starting to get like that yeah. uh, enough experience that he can actually like focus on other players and how they. Sh this is the big thing: being able to focus on other players and how the team should play, mm -hmm. but also perform at a hundred percent. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. If you can do that, then you can get control of the group. But if yeah. you can't, if you're still young or you're still not that player that can 100% of the time be focused on your game and look at the game and see what's going on and what needs to change, then you, you can't pull strings like, like, yeah. like you should or like you want to. Yeah. Best player you ever faced? Uh, at the time, Charles Reed Joseph. <laughs> what a legend. And when he was in New I, England... I'm so sad people don't appreciate how great he was. Yeah, well, it was just a different time. He's unbelievable. There was only two players, because I was playing center mid most of my career, there were only two players where I, I, I like, was like, I got to <laughs> do this today. All right, pull up the bootstraps. It was Shaw Ree and Kyle, yeah, Kyle Beckerman. Yeah, because we just, I mean, yeah. those, they were just like mature dudes yeah. that like own their bodies. Yeah. And like I said before, they knew what everyone around them should be doing, yeah. but they could also not even think about what they were doing. And they just had so much control, so much, um, you know, just like power and strength and like fight yeah. that you know it was gonna be just an absolute battle. This one's gonna be tougher. Best player you played with? I mean, quantifying this is tough. Um, I mean, I, the most consistent it's probably Ozzy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just can't think of anybody that I played more games with. Yeah. And they were always good. And won. Yeah. And where I, there, were never, there was never a time where I was, I was like, what is this guy doing yeah, today? No. You know? No. It was just never that way. Yeah. And um, the mutual respect and just how many games we played together was, um, mm. was super special. In terms of pure talent, I'm thinking like Nico, Clint. Oba. Oba. I mean, Oba's, <laughs> I've never seen anything like, like Oba. Um, I, I, I mean, Clint, Clint would do things that you were like, oh, wow. Yeah. But then you'd have to like try and pull him in by the reins yeah. um, a little yeah. bit and make him work. But Oba, yeah. you just knew that something special was going to happen. Yeah. And that was the player that other defenders feared for their life. Yeah. Like, no joke. Speed. Everything, right foot, left He's foot, touch. He technical. Team. He worked hard. Yeah, he yeah was, it was yeah. incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then, like, I... I always go back to, uh, to, we're talking about goalkeepers, Casey and Tim. Mm. Like when I was playing defense, Casey, I never got really the chance to have that connection because I was yeah. always in midfield, you know? Yeah. And we were cool off, really close off the field, cool off the field. But there's something to be said about having that relationship as a player, like the mm. next line, yeah. right? Uh, but then with Tim, with the national team, like I've never, he would literally, we talk about a guy who could lead a team, like there was really? probably nobody better. Um, just the way that he saw the game and just he told you what to do exactly what to do every single time and if you did it it was a success 
and it was it was awesome. Yeah. It was awesome to be wow. a part of. Um, Guijet was amazing in yeah. Columbus. I don't. It was so long ago. Uh, you you tend to forget about these things. Yeah. Um, Beasler is probably the one of the second best captain I've ever been around wow. in terms yeah. of like control of a locker room. Um, he's got like full autonomy there hmm. uh, to do whatever he says goes. Last thing is, you could have gone anywhere really. You're not from Seattle, but you're choosing to, for at least now, settle in Seattle. Why? What is it about this place that says I want to make that my home for me and my wife right now? Yeah, I think. You know, I grew up in Arizona, then went to college, and then left. So th then I came here for nine years. So this is the longest place I've ever lived outside of growing up in, in Phoenix. And, you know, I, I'm drawn to Phoenix because it, you know, Becky and I talked about this the other day. I'm drawn to Phoenix because it feels like home, but it feels like there's only a little tiny spot that feels like home. It's yeah. where I grew up because I left when I was 18. So I didn't get to, like, experience restaurants, bars, yeah, cities, yeah. nightlife, sporting events. It was different, you know? So when I go there, that little tiny spot feels like home, but when I come here, the whole place feels mm -hmm. uh, like I'm landing at home. Uh, the community that we built here is just like, it's insane. We've been back 10 days now, and the amount of people that have reached out just to help us, yeah. and it's, it was just like mind-boggling. Yeah. And it's something that, you know, we lived in a tiny little trailer for five months, and, uh, Longest we stayed one place was seven days. Wow. And so to come to a place and uh, you know, know that you're gonna be here for good is just like the most special feeling. Um, and we feel like we have a lot to give back to the community. So there's been so much given to us that we feel indebted in the best, you know, best sense. Yeah, we feel yeah. indebted to the community and, and uh, it's just, we just love everything about it. We got back and we spent you know, a day at Pikes just like seeing all the things that we loved, you know, had lunch and just cruised around and just, yeah, truly in love with the place. So uh, couldn't couldn't be happier and we'll see what the next step is. Perfect. Brad, pleasure, man. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you. Uh, how important is it for you to uh, now have, obviously, the ability to have so many veteran voices in that, you know, Roman Torres as well, someone who typically comes up big in big moments, going to be critical you know that's the one thing that, that that Dallas has a younger team obviously Hedges has been around you know forward uh, Ziegler I mean they, 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 they got some guys that have some pretty big games under their belt but you know it always helps when you have a little bit of a senior team you know you mix in a couple young guys and do all the running you know Jordan Christian it always helps Great stuff there from Brad Evans. We had a great chat and then we stopped recording and went to lunch and had an even greater chat again. Um, there may have been some wine involved, but it was great. And one of the things, you know, when I think of some of the older generation sounder players now, I guess, maybe the guys I played with, um, I do think of a Brad Evans. I, I think of what he brought to the pitch. You know, I'm one of the people who for sure appreciates what he was as a player because I played with him and I understood what he was on the pitch. There was times when I knew I had the freedom to go forward because Brad and Ozzy were so good at being box to box and covering for myself and whoever was playing on the right-hand side. Usually in that time, 
Simon Ayasi, but even when Mauro Rosales came, for example, um, and Alvaro Fernandez, those guys were good about understanding that Zakawani fella isn't that good coming this way. Let's keep him going that way. We'll cover for you here as long as you are getting your job done. And that made me do my job more. But even more than just on the pitch, I think it was the dressing room in that locker room. What players like that meant. I learned how to be a pro from the James Riley's, Brad Evans, Casey Kellers, Zach Scott, Roger Levex, Taylor Grahams. That, that was my education. I arrived in Seattle as the number one pick, of course, and you feel pretty good about that. And then we started training in our first training session and Taylor Graham ripped into me for holding onto the board for too long. And right away I knew nobody cared you were number one or number 75. What they care about is how you're going to play and are you going to do things the right way? And Taylor Graham let me have it. When I would be on Casey Keller's team during five on five in training, if you, if you missed a defensive assignment, if you didn't track back, if whatever it was, he would let you know. But that taught me to be a pro. And when I established myself on the team and became an important player by my second, third year, I was that guy in training. I was a guy that hated to lose. If someone wasn't doing the basic things they should be doing, I would also let you know because I held myself to those standards too. And the conversation between some of the former players is, is that on the team now? Is that because the personnel they have? Is it that the league itself has changed? And that's what me and Brad were kind of getting into. And I would be curious to know what even your thoughts are because I think the league has changed. I think it's going in a slightly different direction to maybe when I played. Um, but have we lost some of that? You look at the US national team, for example. The defeat they just had to Canada. Okay, you can lose a game here and there. I understand that. But the way they lost, was there enough fight, enough desire? I think, you know, I'm the number one advocate for beautiful tiki-taka football, little one-twos, give and goes, play pretty wonderful football, but that's not at the expense of grit and determination and fighting and competing and holding each other accountable. And that's the part where the likes of a Brad Evans was that in the locker room for me. We came in at halftime and yes, Ziggy would speak, but the players would speak too. Hey, you got to do that. Next time you got to find me. Look, man, that, that guy... He, he, he's escaped you two or three times. Don't let him get away. So he, like, we would let each other know and it made our team a lot better. So I don't know if that's changed. Food for thought, just my two cents. With that said, I promised and I'm going to try to give you my bracket up to the Eastern Conference Final and the Western Conference Final. Let's do the East first because I really don't care that much about the East. We're worried about the West right now. The East will come later when we get to MLS Cup and you have to worry about who's there. Atlanta will beat New England, without question. Toronto will beat DC. Rooney will score, but Toronto will score two, two one. Um, am I comfortable with that? Yes. The tough one is Philly, New York. I believe, believe Philly will win. I believe, because I'm siding with the home teams because the you've seen the playoff scenario is giving um, home teams a massive advantage now just with this one game. There's no away goals. You don't have to worry about none of that. So I'm inclined to go with the home team. And I'm going to stick with that. I'm going to stick with that. Conference semifinals, Toronto then will go to New York City FC. NYCFC will win. I think they're playing like in a high school baseball stadium, if that's what I heard correctly. I don't know. That's just a rumor. I don't know. Um, they're playing somewhere. 
Um, hopefully they find a pitch. But wherever they play, they're a good team. They're going to win. Atlanta will beat Philadelphia. And the conference finals in the East will be NYCFC Atlanta. And I don't know who's going to win. I really don't know. I want to say NYCFC, but I also want to say Atlanta. I just don't know. The West, Minnesota, Galaxy. Oof, this one is tough. Minnesota don't score that many goals. They don't really give up that many goals. LASV, LA Galaxy, sorry, give up an unholy amount of goals. But Zlatan scores an unholy amount of goals. So I don't know. 2-1 Minnesota. That sound about right? Got to give Zlatan a goal in the playoffs. Minnesota wins. Salt Lake, Portland. Portland is in shambles. Portland is struggling. Is Valeri no longer the face of the franchise? Are they trying to get him out? So many questions there. And I think they'll win. I think they're going to upset Salt Lake. There's going to be an upset in here. And I think Portland will upset Salt Lake. I think they will. To set up a conference semi-final Cascadia matchup. Because the Sounders are going to beat Dallas. 2-0 or 3-1. It's not going to be that pretty. But it's going to be relatively comfortable. Seattle will then beat Portland. LAFC will beat Minnesota. And Seattle will go to LAFC. And I'm not even going to try to predict that one. Because I just don't know. LAFC is not as good as they were in the middle part of the season. They built that massive cushion. Then they cruised. But they can switch it on. I saw them in the last couple home games. Houston at home. Colorado at home on decision day. And that Carlos Vela guy. Listen, I've seen some great players in MLS. And the way he's playing right now is right there with the best of them. So I... Don't know. Curious to hear your thoughts. What happens in the playoffs? That's my two cents on it. That's what I think the bracket's going to be. Before we go, don't forget, the Sounders play Dallas at home this Saturday, 12.30 p.m. kickoff. It's on FS1. But, of course, you're going to be there in person rooting the boys and Rave Green on. The first thing the Sounders need to do well is set the tone in the first 15 minutes. Oh, it's so important. Have to win that first 15. If you can get a goal, great. But if not, you come out flying like you did in the first few games of the season. You come out and I want to see the Dallas goalkeeper diving left, right, saving balls, turning around for a corner, the defenders backpedaling, putting pressure on them. Jordan Morris make a few runs in behind. Nico combined with Rui Diaz, get some shots off on goal. That's what I want to see in the first 15 minutes. Brad Smith in the attacking half. Kelvin Ledham in the attacking half. Remaining defensively sound, continuing to apply the pressure. The first 15 minutes is so critical to set the tone and let FC Dallas know it's going to be a long afternoon and an even longer flight back home when your season's over. Number two, got to get Raul Rui Diaz involved often and early. If that means just giving them a couple of little touches here and there, do so. I will tell you a story. One of the best finishers, maybe the best finisher, and a lot of people will back me up on this, that I played with and... If you saw him in training, you'd understand why. Was Sammy Ochoa. I think Sammy's still playing. And maybe Las Vegas. Sammy was with us here in Seattle for a couple of years. And, I mean, this guy could finish, like, like very few that I've seen. But he didn't like to run. So, in training, if he ever ended up on my team, 
five on five, six on six, and small-sided games, okay? I would, right before Ziggy or Schmetz blew the whistle for us to start playing, I would tell Sammy, Sammy, don't run. We're going to run for you. We're going to find you. But when we find you, you better score. Because the only way I can forgive you for not running is if you're scoring goals and winning us games. So you just stay up there. The rest of us, me, Ozzy, whoever's on my team, Leo Gonzalez, we're going to run for you and do all the dribbling and we're going to do that. And our only goal is to find you in good positions so you can finish. And more often than not, my team would win and Sammy would finish. That's what I would say to Raul Diaz. If I was on that team, if I was Jordan Morris, if I was Nicola Dero, I would say, Raul, I don't want to see you near the halfway line. I want to see you in the box. Raul would be, but I want the ball. Yes, Raul, I'm going to get you the ball. That's my only job in this first half, is get you one or two good chances that you haven't had in weeks, the kind of chances that you live on, that we haven't been giving you. We're going to give them to you. But when you get them, you know what to do. Number three, watch out for the counter-attack. They're going to sit back and then try and hit you with Barrios, especially on the counter-attack. If Baji plays, they've got a couple of quick players there. You've got to watch out for that because I'm talking about being on the offensive, having your left back and right back in the attacking half. That's all good stuff, but you need to get back the other way too. You need to defend. You need to be defensively sound. You need to match their commitment, match their grit, match their determination. If the Sounders can match or surpass FC Dallas's work rate, the talent will take over. And Seattle will make me look like a genius because they're going to win comfortably. Comfortably. It's not going to be easy, but comfortably, as in the result will never really be in doubt because it'll be just a matter of time until Seattle get one, two, and maybe three goals. And that means haircuts for some of you, free haircuts for some of you. And it means a spot in the next round against Salt Lake or Portland. It'll be Portland for the Sounders. No need to anticipate too much longer what's going to happen. It's coming real soon this Saturday. The Sounders at home to FC Dallas. Winging it with Zach Wani. Hopefully we'll be back next week previewing previewing a massive, massive conference semi-final. That's my plan. I plan to be back. Make sure you join us. <laughs>